we read it, Tommy read it for us, John 17, 1 through 19. The text I would like to draw your attention to this morning is particularly verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to read that for us again. And if, if it's okay, I would like for us to do this. Can we stand as we read this text? I know Tommy's already read all the way through verse 19. Please stand out of honor for God's word. And uh, I'm going to read verse 1 through 5, and then I'm going to pray again uh, for us, because I need it and we need it this morning as we come to this text. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And I come to you on behalf of even these people sitting here today. I pray that you would help us to see what you have said in your word. To love it. I pray that you would thaw cold hearts this morning. There is bitterness. Uh, there is discontentment, disappointment with life. There are many cares and strives and burdens that are carried even in this room this morning. And more than anything, we need to see what you have said, what you have accomplished. I pray that you would use your word this morning to bring life to the dead, to encourage the saints, to, to give us an anchor for our endurance. And that we would be able to leave together, even today, rejoicing at what you have done. And I pray that you would accomplish all of this for your glory, for your name's sake. It's in the name of your Son, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. This text is indeed a... An extremely important text, one that, honestly, I don't feel qualified to even dive into. It is so deep, and yet so clear, and so helpful for us. And, and I feel a little bit, uh, I feel a little bit nervous entering into this text because it is of such importance for us this morning. I'm praying this morning. I've been praying all week for you. 
I'm praying that this text would be an encouragement to you more than anything else, that you would see what the Father and the Son have accomplished and how you're a part of that and what that means for you, practically speaking. I hope that this is an encouragement for you. And I also am praying, as I just prayed, that, you know, in in a room like this, there are some of you who have not seen the glory of God. You do not know the eternal God. Uh, He is not glorious to you. He is not exciting to you. You're dead in your sin. And I'm praying that even through this text this morning, you would see that he would cause you to see his glory and salvation and that you would come to know him even this morning. Jesus has just finished his conversation in the upper room with his disciples. He is at the threshold of his crucifixion, his betrayal and arrest and crucifixion. And before he goes to that appointment, he prays this prayer. And this this is amazing. He prays this prayer in the earshot of his disciples. He has just been instructing them, just been teaching them, and now he turns his eyes heavenward, and he prays this prayer to his Father, and he wants his disciples to hear what he says. He wants his disciples to hear about his relationship to the Father. And not only does he want his disciples that are there in the room with him to hear, he wants all of those who will believe in him, he wants them to hear what he has to say. Have you, have, you ever, have you ever wanted to meet Jesus? Have you ever wanted to talk to Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? One day we will be able to see him face to face. This passage is an opportunity. We actually, and Jesus intentionally gives it to us because he wants you to hear this morning his relationship to his father. He wants you to see it. He wants you to know it. These words are from the very mouth of Jesus to you and for you. What awesome, what awesome opportunity we have in this text to hear Jesus. He lifts his eyes to heaven and this is his prayer. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. The prayer of Jesus has one petition. There's one request. Jesus prays to his Father, and there's one thing he prays for, and it's this. Father, glorify your Son. Father, glorify your Son. That's it. The rest of it is built. The rest of what he says is built around this one petition, this one request. 
this petition of our Lord Jesus is made in a grand, in a glorious, in an eternal context. The context is an eternal, glorious plan of salvation. This petition serves to uncover for us the context that Jesus wants us to see. It it is why he wants us to hear this prayer. It is this context that he wants us to see and behold. This context, this eternal and glorious plan of salvation. First, He wants us to see, Jesus wants you to see that the conception of this plan, the plan of salvation, the conception of this plan is found in the pre-existing relationship between the Father and the Son. He wants you to see that the plan of salvation has its beginning in the pre-existing eternal relationship of the Father and the Son. We talk about the gospel being the good news. Jared referred earlier to the fact that I traveled as an evangelist, holding revival meetings, going from place to place, preaching in churches, And I used to say that the gospel is the good news of Jesus coming to save us from our sin, and and that's true. But I would always talk about it as if there was bad news first. Here's the bad news. The bad news is that God is holy and you are a sinner, and that you cannot be with God And so God must, because of your sin, and so God must judge you because of his holiness. And you have no hope of being saved because of your sin. But, that's the bad news, but here's the good news. God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that is, that is, what I was taught the gospel was. That is how we framed the gospel. But I want you to know something this morning. This is is important. Where does the good news of the gospel actually begin? The good news of the gospel doesn't come only in after the bad news. The good news of the gospel begins... in the pre-existing eternal relationship of the Father and the Son... The good news of the gospel actually doesn't begin with God's love for me. The good news of the gospel begins with God's, the Father's, love for his Son. With God the Father's love for his Son. That's where the good news of the gospel begins. The good news of the gospel is born out of the Father's love for his Son. And the Son's love. For his father. 
and their shared glory together. The good news of the gospel begins with the glory of God. The glory of God and the love relationship of Father and Son, this is what created the world. The world was created to display the glory of God, the triune God. The earth was created. Mankind was created in the image of God. This is, this, is, this is that conversation that is had. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is that conversation. So that they, mankind, can bear our image and can glorify us on earth. That the earth would be filled with the glory of God, the triune God. But man wanted glory for himself. Man in his sin robs God of his glory. Man rejects the knowledge of God and seeks autonomous knowledge. Mankind seeks autonomy from God. Independence from God. Not happy to live under the rightful rule of God. And so, God, because he is glorious, because the earth is his, he will justly judge those who have rejected him. And yet he still must be glorified. And he has chosen a people through his son for his glory. Now this plan finds its birth in the pre-existing relationship of father and son. And you see that when Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, many times, he uh, said over and over again, it is not my time, or the hour has not come. This is not my hour. Here in this prayer, he shows us that he has come to the hour, and that this hour was planned beforehand. This hour was the result of a divine arrangement, a conversation between father and son about how they were going to bring glory to the earth and manifest their glory in their creation. You see him reference this actually uh, before John 17. He references it in John 12. I want you to turn to John 12 just for a moment. I want you to see this. John chapter 12, starting verse 27. Jesus says, this is after he has come into Jerusalem. He says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? He, he knows he's, he's in Jerusalem for a reason. He says, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Is that what I should say? Father, save me from this hour? No. 
but for this purpose I have come to this hour. This hour was arranged by the Father. And the purpose for the hour is this, as we've already seen. Look at verse number 28. For this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? The Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So the Father and the Son in eternity past, arranged a plan for the Son to come to earth and for the Son to be lifted up in this pre-arranged hour. And by lifted up, it implies his death. I want you to understand that. When Jesus prays to the Father, he says, Father, the hour has come. Jesus knows that that hour means his lifting up, his death. But in that death, he prays, Father, glorify your Son. This idea of glorify. When we talk about what it means to glorify, it has as part of its idea, this idea of lifting up. We, we do that all the time. Hey, lift that up so I can see it. This is what Jesus is asking. Father, lift me up. Lift me up, as he said back in chapter 12, that all the world can see me. It is in that death that he will be seen. That he will be displayed glorify lift up and it also has this idea of clothe clothe in splendor clothe in majesty he says father glorify your son lift me up and by that lifting up Put me on display for all to see. But what, what are you putting on display? He is putting on display splendor and glory. Did you know that is what the cross is? The cross of Christ. The greatest suffering. The greatest pain and shame. Ignominy. The cross is glorious. It is there at the cross where we see the Son of God put on display. And then 
his petition has, has a aim, has a hope. He says, Father, glorify your son that for the purpose that I, the son, may glorify you. So get this. The cross is the lifting up of the son. And he is put on display for all to see. And through that sight, through the display of the son in his death, the father is glorified. The son, through his death, he lifts the father up. And he puts the father on display. What do we see in the cross? We see God's love. And we see God's justice. We see God's mercy. And we see God's wrath. We see all of the attributes of God. All that he is displayed at this hour. At the hour of Christ's crucifixion. We see all of the attributes of God on display. Oftentimes we... We try to think of God by his attributes. And when we do that, we often give emphasis to one attribute over another. We will talk about God's love, but it's usually at the expense of his holiness. We will talk about God's justice, but often it's at, at the expense of his mercy. Did you know that God is all of his attributes all of the time? He never, ever ceases to be all that he is 100% all the time. He never robs from one attribute to give to another. He never de-emphasizes one attribute to raise up another. He is all that he is all the time. And Jesus, the Son, has made him known perfectly. This is what John 1 says. He, Jesus, has made him known. He, is, he has explained who the Father is. So that all the world may know who God, their creator God, is. So this is what Jesus prays. Father, the hour has come. The hour that we have talked about. The hour that we have planned. The hour has come. Glorify your son. Lift me up so that all can see so that then you, in turn, will be lifted up. So that all will know you. So that all will see you. The conception of this glorious plan of salvation was born out of, came out of the pre-existing relationship between father and son. I want to, I want to draw your attention, secondly, to the content of this plan, the content of the plan of salvation, the content of this plan of salvation revolves around three gifts. Three gifts. The plan of salvation planned together between father and son out of their loving, glorious relationship. It revolves around three gifts. I want to draw your attention to it there in verse 2. 
He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since, or just as, look at this, you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Three gifts. First, the Father has given the Son authority over all mankind. Now, you may hear that and say, of course, Jesus has all authority. He's God. He, he has all authority. No, this, this is different. This is distinguished from that. This is not the authority he has because he's God. This, this is actually authority given to him by the Father. The Father has given the Son authority over all mankind. I mentioned a second ago the creation of the world and the fact that the whole world was supposed to be filled with the image of God and bring glory to God as a result. Well, man failed in that. Man did not fill the earth with God's glory. In, fa in fact, they instead lifted themselves up and glorified themselves. God, the Father, gives to the Son authority over all flesh. This speaks of God's kingdom. God's kingdom rule over all the earth. The authority he gives to the Son is an extension of his sovereign authority over all creation. But he gives the Son a unique place, a unique position. He, he makes the Son the image of the invisible God. He makes the Son the King, the authority over all mankind. Very important. Jesus has been given by the Father. He's been given authority. Now, this authority was given to him in eternity past. It will be proven, it will be declared upon his resurrection. He is the authority of all mankind, and he will prove that through his resurrection. He will be declared to be the Son of God in power. Why is this important that he's given authority? Well, he tells us he is given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. The second gift I want to bring to your attention is the gift of a people to the Son. So first, the Son is given the gift of authority. Second, he is given the gift of a people. Now, we've already rehearsed this this morning in our liturgy, in our, in our service. He is given authority over all of mankind, and then he is given. The, the reason that's important is because it is the basis for his gift the Father's gift to the Son of a people, a people that is from every tribe and every nation and every language and every people group, a, a, a people that is from every corner of the entire earth. The Father gives the Son a people from the entire globe. The earth, the earth, and all of its kingdoms and all of its nations. From there, God will draw a people 
Now, he will not draw all people, but he will draw a people from every nation, from every tribe, from every language. And it's that people, a, a world of people that he will give his son as an inheritance. Did you know that if you know Christ today, you are his inheritance, you are a gift from the Father to the Son? Think on that for a moment. You have been drawn by the Father to give as a gift to his Son. It's this people that we call the church. The church, as Jared said a moment ago, is so precious. I am so burdened for the church because I am afraid that the church does not know who she is. And we are not zealous for the identity and for the preservation of this people. We are not urgent. We are not careful. The church has become about me. It's become about what I want. It becomes about my preferences. It becomes about my tastes. It becomes about my entertainment. It becomes about what I think serves me and my family the best. The church has become about me. It's become a consumeristic, entertainment-driven place. I want to remind you this morning who the church is. The church is not about you. And that should be really encouraging. The church is actually a people that the Father gives to the Son for His glory. It's for Him. Did you know that's why you're here this morning? You're here for Him. And you gather together and you, you show what God has done in His gift to His Son. We are the church. We are the gift of the Father to the Son. He gives authority over all flesh. He gives a people to His Son. And then the Son to this people that the Father gives Him, the Son's role is to give eternal life to this people. And because He knows we will have questions about what eternal life is, He answers that question. And this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Look at it. And this, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Here Jesus tells us that eternal life isn't really about the duration of life. It's not, it's not talking about forever life. The emphasis here of eternal life is a person. 
Eternal life is about a relationship with the eternal God. It is about knowing and embracing and enjoying the only true God. And that, that is what he has created us for. Talked again about the creation of all things. Mankind rejecting knowledge of God. This is what Romans 1 says. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. It's, it's, it's revealed against unrighteous man. Why? Because man, he can see who God is, and yet he rejects that knowledge, and instead of embracing and receiving who God is, he rejects God, and he changes, he exchanges the glory of God and gives it to created things. Thinking he is wise, he becomes foolish, darkened in his thinking. You and I, when we were born into this world, we did not have the knowledge of God, the creator of all things. And therefore, we are in opposition to him, and we deserve to be judged by him, rightly so. Jesus comes to give eternal life to those who are in darkness. And the Father draws a people from every corner of the globe. People that, people that deserve it? No. People that are worthy? Absolutely not. People that have something to offer? No. He draws people who are in darkness. And he takes them from darkness and translates, brings them in uh, to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of his son. The king who has authority over all mankind. Who's given us that knowledge? Who's, who's brought us to light? It was of no choice of our own. It was not something we created in ourselves. God, through his son, displayed his glory. And it is that glory. He, he uncovered our eyes and caused us to see the worth and the value of Jesus Christ. And through seeing the worth, the inestimable worth and value of Jesus Christ, it is there on the cross as we see him and his worth and his value that we see God and we are overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed by God and his glory. And we turn from our sin. We turn from our sin. And we bow before him. And we say, my Lord and my God. You see, I, I, I am concerned for the church. Because in the church I see such a watering down of the gospel. Do you today see Christ and his worth and his value? Is Jesus the most precious treasure of your life? We sang about it a minute ago. 
as you sang those words? Did you, did you believe what you were singing? That Jesus is worthy. He is our most precious treasure. I fear that we have taught a gospel that says you can pray a prayer and make some decision about not wanting to go to hell and that somehow makes you saved. No. No. You see, the Father has given a gift to the Son. He's given a gift to the Son and the gift that He's given to the Son is a people that the Son then gives eternal life to and this eternal life is to know the one true God. And by implication, that means a repentance from sin, a turning from sin, and a valuing of God and his glory and the Son whom he has sent more than anything else in this world. That's what it means to be saved. I carefully, I, I challenge you this morning. I ask you to look. What is your greatest treasure? Who or what do you live for? I've got to hurry on here. The last point I have is the completion of this plan. The conception of this plan, this glorious plan of salvation, takes place in the eternally pre-existing relationship between Father and Son. The content of this plan revolves around three gifts. The gift of authority to the Son, the gift of a people to the Son, and the gift of eternal life to that people, which is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The only way to know God is through his Son, and what his son has revealed. The last point is the completion of this plan. The completion of this plan results in the mutual glorification of father and son. When Jesus prays this prayer, he has in mind the cross, but he is also looking beyond the cross. He has in his mind the work that God the Father has sent him to do. God the Father has sent him into the world to accomplish a work. And Jesus says here, look at this. He turns, he, he turns even to the first person here and he says, I glorified you on earth. There he's talking about his works that he was sent to do on earth, which culminates in his death and in his resurrection. I glorified you here on earth. I made you known. I lifted you up through my lifting up. Through my death and through my resurrection, I made you known, Father. I glorified you. I've accomplished. I've finished it. Now, Father, now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus' prayer to glorify the Son has its completion in the ascension of Jesus where He will once again 
put on the glory that he shared with the Father before the world existed. Do you know what your salvation is all about? It's about the glory of God and the glory of the Son. It's about their desire to glorify each other. That's what your salvation's about. And, and this is amazing. Because they want to glorify one another, they have chosen to choose and to save a people that will be caught up in the middle of that mutual glorification. Jesus left the Father's side in glory and came to earth and was made a man like you and me. And he lived a life as a man and he put on flesh and then suffered and died for our sin, was buried and then rose again to conquer our sin, to conquer our death. But it didn't stop there. We often, we often leave off the ascension. He then, after he rose from the dead, he ascended back to the Father, and he put back on his glory. But in all of that, he secured the salvation of a people from every tribe and nation and tongue and language. He secured a salvation so that they can also join with him in that glory. That's what it says. Actually, look at John 17. Look at John 17, verse 24. Look at this. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Is that not the most amazing verse? Is that not the most amazing truth? He ascended to the Father, and it's there. He says, I want my people that you've given me to be with me so that they can see my glory that you, Father, have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the earth. Who is your salvation about? It's about him. It's about him the glory of God and the glory of the Son and the love of the Son from the Father. That's what it's about. And this is what we get to live out even now, this eternal life that he's given us. What a privilege. What a place he's given us. Father, glorify your Son. Now I have, I have four, practical, four practical implications, okay? You're listening to this, and you're like, yeah, it's great. That preacher's up there just all being excited about preacher stuff. But, you know, this doesn't really have anything to do with my life. I mean, it's all great theology and all, but, you know, it doesn't really have much to do with my life. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong. Did you know your theology matters? Your theology is lived out constantly. What you believe about God is evident from how you live your life. You cannot not display what you believe about God. That's how he's created you. He's created you to image him. So your theology, what you think about God and what you believe about God, will live and play itself out in your life. 
So those of us who have been made partakers in this wonderful plan between the God, God the Father and God the Son, those of us who've been made partakers of that, what we've looked at here, this theology has four at least, and there's many, many, many more, but four I'd like to challenge you with today. Four practical implications for us. Number one, this truth that we've just looked at in John 17, 1 through 5, this truth, it is rest for the anxious. It is rest for the anxious. Again, expressing concern for the church. Do you know the church is full of people who are so uh, anxious about life and about their salvation? People that, that are so uh, unsure of their place with God. Again, they have, they have spent most of their life looking at themselves and trying to make much of themselves. I'm here to tell you this morning that this passage, rightly understood, will give rest to your anxious heart. What we see is that our salvation doesn't depend upon us. Our salvation isn't about what we do our salvation isn't about our performance. Our salvation isn't about our production. Our salvation isn't about my ability to hold on. My salvation is all about His work. The work of God the Father in the Son. The Son cannot lose any that He has been given. Because to do so would be to diminish the glory of God. He cannot lose any that he has been given. This, this gives me so much security when I meditate upon it and think about it. All of life, all of existence is about this, this plan of God to glorify himself. And I know he will glorify himself. He will not be denied in that. When I take my heart and I wrap it around his plan to glorify himself in his son, when I wrap my mind and my heart around that, and that becomes my meditation, my anxiety and my worry and my fear of all the things that might happen, they're laid to rest. Because I see his grand and glorious plan. Look to him. Stop looking at yourself. Second practical implication, and this, this is very important for us. The truth that we see in John 17, this grand and glorious plan to glorify the Son, is mission for the aimless. It gives purpose to those who are aimless. I talk to a lot of college students and a lot of college students are struggling with what they're going to do with their life. Should I go here for college? Should I marry this person? Should I, should I buy this car? And they're filled with angst and aimlessness. 
What should I do with my life? Where should I go? And a lot of it is paralyzing because there, there's this sense, and it's not just college students, it's, it's pervasive. There are people who are paralyzed because they have a fear of missing out on life. They have a fear of missing out. I don't want to miss anything that's going to be good for me. So they, they cripple themselves, they paralyze themselves in making decisions. You know what this truth does for us here today? It should. We should see here our purpose and our mission. The Father sent the Son into the world for this purpose. To be glorified so that the Son then would glorify the Father and they would be known. You and I have that same purpose. You and I have been sent into the world for that very same purpose. It is not wrong to say that if you, if you don't want to miss out on what is really happening in this world, you don't want to miss out, this is very important. Be a part of the local church. I mean, not just a part. I'm, I'm not just saying about, I'm talking dive in to the local church. Dive in. Immerse yourself in the people that the Father has given to the Son. The Father has given to the Son a people, and in John 17 later on, it tells us that he has placed his glory, get this, he has placed his glory on that people whom he's saved. He's placed his glory on them so that the world can still see Jesus lifted up, so that they can still see the Father lifted up, so that they can still come to know God and his glory truly and have eternal life. You know where he's doing that? in the church, on his people, who he's placed his glory upon. That's where he's doing that. You want to do something important and significant? Deny yourself and your dreams and your hopes and all the things that you're chasing after to give yourself the best life now and, and give up on all those things and give yourself to what God is doing in the world, to his people. And you know what? You can have any job you want. You can have any career but if you, if you really want to know what's going on in the world, this is it. Doesn't seem exciting, does it? Oh, but it is. It is the most fulfilling. It is the most enjoyable. The gathering of the people of God and the mission of the people of God. What's your life wrapped around? What do you live your life for? Is it fulfilling you? Are you satisfied with it? Is, it? is it fulfilling all the things that you're hoping that it will fulfill? I'm going to tell you, just going to guess, that it's not. Because it doesn't. It always disappoints. All the things you chase after always let you down. They never provide the rest that you're looking for. There's always something else out there you're thinking maybe will be it. Always searching, always groping, always trying to find something that will satisfy the needs of your soul. I'm telling you, right here, is where you find it. Death to self, life to God, and involvement with his people to carry out the greatest mission, to carry out the meaning of everything, the glory of God displayed in his son, Jesus Christ. It's the mission for the church. Third, 
This passage, and this, this, is, this is important, this passage is a warning for the erring, for the straying. Again, God has given a gift of the people to his son. And on that people, he has placed his glory. And he desires for that people to glorify him. And they do this through sharing in the love that the father has for the son. The love and the unity. That's what John 17 goes on to say. The love and the unity that the father and the son have together, the people that he has saved, are to demonstrate that. This is why John goes on in his epistle later to say, if you do not love, you do not know God. Now that that sounds really, really severe, doesn't it? But remember the picture. He has saved a people. Why? For his glory. Why would he save a people for his glory and not be concerned about how they live their lives? He has called you to live a life of love of unity. That's what he's called you to. A life of love. A life of unity. A life displaying his glory. So this passage is a warning to those who would say that I can be saved and yet go on and live my life any way that I want. Who are you to tell me I can't do this or that? Who are you to budge into my life and tell me how I should live my life? Listen, the the stakes are much higher than you realize because God has placed his glory on the church. And it's here that he wants the world to see his love. It's here that he wants the world to see who he is in his glory. We must protect the church. We must protect purify the church for the sake of the glory of God. And so it's a warning to those who would not live loving. Now, now think about this. Who do I need to love? Well, it starts in your home. Husbands, it starts by loving your wife. Right? That's what we learn in Scripture. How do people see Jesus Christ? They see it through your love for your wife. They see it by your love for your children. They see it by your love for one another, your care for one another. These are not, these are not uh, options for the people of God. These are commandments. And it's important that the people of God are pursuing love and unity. And then the last implication, practical implication. This passage is a pattern for our suffering. Hear that. It's a pattern for our suffering. Jesus here demonstrates for us what it looks like to glorify God. We will suffer. There is not a life that you can live that will be free from suffering. It is surprising how often people try to live their life to avoid suffering. All their prayers, in fact, are about avoiding suffering. If God would only rescue me from the suffering, 
I'm so glad that God did not rescue his son from the suffering. No, his plan was to bring glory to himself through the suffering, through lifting up his son, through the death and the shame and the pain of his son, he brought glory to himself. He put himself on display. For the child of God, I want you to hear this. For the child of God, your life will include suffering. That's what the Father plans for you. Is that hard to hear? He brings it into your life on purpose. It is not unloving. I want you to hear. He brings, because everybody in this world suffers. But the child of God, we have purpose. We have meaning in our suffering. Because through our suffering, he lifts us, as his people, he lifts us up to be seen by others and to testify to him of him. That is what our suffering serves to do. He is not here to save us from our suffering. Eventually he will. Eventually we will be saved forever from our suffering. But in this life, he is, he is glorifying himself through our suffering. The glory for the Christian, the glory is in the suffering. That is where people see him most prominently displayed. I was recently talking to a man in our church who he, he's undergoing legitimate suffering. And he came to me and said, I'm going through a furnace. It feels like a furnace. I'm in a furnace. I can't get out of it. And you know what I wanted to say? What I wanted to say was, man, it'll be okay. It'll, be, it'll all be over. But you know, the type of suffering he was going through, it wasn't going to be over anytime soon. He was in a furnace, and there was absolutely nothing I could say to him about its end. I have no idea when it's going to end. It might not ever end. I was talking about his furnace that he was in. And I, I, in the moment there, I realized what I needed to say to him. I said, listen, I, I know you're suffering. And I would never ask this for you. I would never wish this upon your life. None of us would. And it is okay to pray for the suffering to be taken away. That is good to pray. But I said, think about what God is doing. You have been, you've, you've been lifted up. And there are people, namely your children, who are watching you, and your neighbors who are watching you, and your church who is watching you, and, and they're looking at you, and they are, they are feeling so terrible for you and you're suffering. But in that display, in that lifting up, you have an opportunity. Through this suffering, you have an opportunity to put the glory of God and the worth and the value of Jesus Christ on display. What an opportunity. Christian, you have that same opportunity every day. No matter what you're enduring, no matter what you're experiencing, you have an opportunity to glorify God because you are his child. You are his gift to the Son for his glory. What a wonderful truth for us this morning. I hope and pray again that this passage to you is encouraging. 
Remember who you are. Remember what you're doing here. We have rest for our anxious hearts. We have purpose in our aimlessness. We have warning for when we stray. And we have a pattern laid before us for our suffering. And our suffering will result, as it did for Christ, it will result in our exaltation. We will be with him, enjoying his glory forever. The glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, the love of the Son for the Father, the love of the Father for the Son. That's what we have been made part of. And that's what we're here to display. What an opportunity we have in our relationships. Would you commit to this this morning? Would you commit to this? Commit to taking time this week to meditate upon the truths that we've talked about this morning? Would you commit to taking some time this week? Set aside some time to just think about the truths that we've talked about this morning. And then commit to having a conversation with someone else about what you've learned or what you've been encouraged by or what you've been challenged with. Maybe it's just your wife or maybe your husband or maybe your kids. This week, you're going to take what you've heard You're going to take what you've learned and you're going to take what you've been challenged with and you're just going to share it with someone in your family or someone in your neighborhood or someone at your workplace as an encouragement to them, as a challenge to them. Would you commit to that? Take some time to meditate and then take an opportunity to speak the word of God to others this week. Father, we thank you for your word. It is sufficient. It is without error. And we have heard it this morning. We have seen in this text truths that really are beyond our descriptions. You have allowed us in to see and to hear this conversation. And I pray that we would take these truths and that we would apply them to our hearts, that we would be challenged by them in our living and that we would use them to strengthen and encourage others. And I pray uh, for all of this, for your glory, for your namesake upon the earth. We pray in your name. Amen.